the CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Come in. Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Help the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Such excellent advice from the prophet Isaiah. So simple to understand. So fulfilling to follow. So, why aren't more people doing it? Your Majesty, the people are waiting to hear your immortal words of wisdom. Mother, I can't think of any at the moment. That is not acceptable. I'm sorry. The people won't like it. I'm not prepared to make a judgment. Then there's only one thing you can do. Yes? Tell me. What is it? Tell me. No. You're not quite ready for it. Not just yet. Our mystery drama, The Final Judgment was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Sam Dan and stars Gordon Heath. It is sponsored in part by True Value Hardware Stores and Buick Motor Division. I'll be back shortly with Act One. There is no new thing under the sun. Or so it says in that part of the great book which is called Ecclesiastes, or The Preacher. And since many believe that the preacher was King Solomon himself, we thus have another example of his enduring wisdom. For what indeed can ever be new under the sun? The works of man, perhaps, his machines, his buildings, his weapons, but man himself? No. Nothing has changed since Solomon's day. And to prove it, here is a tale told by the preacher about himself. Not about a Solomon who was rich in years and wisdom, but of a younger Solomon who was filled with vanity. For, lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone... The flowers appear on the earth. My son. Oh, mother? I thought I would find you here. And why not? This is my chamber. You should be at the council chamber. Where was I? The the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. I've just come from the council. Did you hear me? I'm sure all Israel has heard you, dearest mother. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and its vines are in blossom. And what are you doing? I'm writing poetry. Poetry? How can you write poetry? There's going to be a war. We can have war any time we please. But poetry, only when the inspiration comes. Jeroboam is raising an army. He claims the throne. I must ask you a very important question, Mother. Yes? Don't spare my feelings. How does this poem compare with, well, in your opinion, with what my father has written? <sighs> Is that what you want to ask me? I know my father David was called the sweet singer in Israel. But with this poem... Listen to me. The council is waiting. 
You're a grown man now, with your own sons and daughters and wives. Obviously, Mother. You don't think much of my poem. Is this a time to be mooning over verses? Now, of course, it's difficult when one is compared to one's father. This is a serious business. You're a grown man with children. Yes, I know, with my own sons, daughters, wives. Yes. And you have your wives, most of them, to thank for your troubles. Dear Mother, I never have trouble with my wives. There's no household in the land more peaceful than mine. Every man is entitled to one wife. Some may manage two. Even three is not an unreasonable number. But you... Ah, oh, Mother, Mother... The people are angry because you marry foreign women. Mother, you know as well as I do that each of them strengthens us with a foreign alliance. And weakens us with a foreign idol in the temple. No one takes that seriously. The council is worried. And one thing you must never do is allow counselors to sit and brood. Because then each man begins quietly to flirt with treason. Your father would move decisively. If you're going back to the council room, tell them I shall be there. They'll just have to wait till I'm finished. Finished? With what now? I'm going to the courtyard. What for? This is the time when I dispense justice. Are you serious? Of course I'm serious. You must admit I have a quiet reputation for dispensing justice. My poor boy. You're mad. Down there, in that courtyard is my military strategy. People may rebel against a king, but never against a judge. Especially one who seems to speak with the vision and the wisdom of the Lord. But I still... I know what you want. You would wish me to place myself at the head of 10,000 armed men and slaughter this Jeroboam and his rabble. That's what your father would do. But I'm not my father. I didn't kill Goliath. I never had to fight for my life against wild beasts or bloodthirsty brigands. I was never a shepherd, a hunter, a soldier. I was born in luxury, raised with riches. I must fight in my own way. And, Mother, as long as the people believe that through my mouth flows the wisdom of the Lord, we need not trouble our heads about Jeroboam or any other pretender to the throne. But the council is frightened. I'm not frightened. I look at my mother, Bathsheba. Bathsheba, this prim and proper middle-aged lady. I look for a trace of the ravishingly beautiful 17-year-old Bathsheba, for whom my father, David, had defied the Lord's holiest commandments. What has happened to you, Bathsheba? Where have you gone? The exquisite maiden has become the exacting matron. That breathtaking, heart-stopping beauty has been replaced by a sharp, deadly intelligence and cunning. Or were they always there? She never tires of telling me that I am king of Israel, thanks to her artfulness and strategy. What she doesn't seem to understand is that getting the crown was not nearly as difficult as keeping it. And the only way I can keep it is to dispense justice. Justice! I demand justice. justice! I have a right to justice! I will have justice! Speak one at a time. Oh, King, live forever. I am the victim of a plot. Immortal King, one of these two or both of them have robbed me. King of Kings, punish the thieves. They lie! Listen to the truth. I am innocent. I have been robbed. You know how it all began with those two women and the baby. When I was called to judge between the two women and the infant, 
I was so completely puzzled that finally in anger I shouted, Give them each half of the baby. Without even thinking. And no sooner were those words out of my mouth when my heart almost stopped. What if they take me seriously? What if both women are too stubborn to give in? Women. They were hardly more than children themselves. Two poverty-stricken little prostitutes starving in a miserable hovel. And yet, one of them rose to heights of nobility unmatched by any queen. How well it ended. And it was the making of me as a judge. Your Majesty! Mighty King! Emperor of the world! First, we must dispense with all of that. I am Solomon, son of David. And by sufferance of the Lord, I preside over his people, Israel. Which of you is the oldest? Raise your hand. What is your name? I am Joseph, son of Aaron, son of Simeon, son of Kish, son of Judah. I dare say you could take us back to our father Abraham himself. On a more contemporary theme, what is your grievance? Your Majesty, the tale is quickly told. And you are? Abiel, son of Asher. We three, myself and these two villains... Whom do you call a villain? And what do you call yourself? I am Benjamin, son of Zebulon. So, here we have Joseph, Abiel, and Benjamin. Proceed. Tell the tale without adornment. We met at the caravansary in Damascus. The one near the eastern gate of the city. It was an evil day. Each of us had sold his goods in the city. We were returning home to Jerusalem. Each of us had money. For protection, we decided to travel together. We three strangers. We marched together during the day. At night, we made camp. To protect the money, we put it all together in one purse. My 200 silver coins. My 10 diamonds. My 100 gold pieces. And we would bury it. In a hiding place. Lest we should be surprised at night by bandits. Foolishly, I trust no. these. We must get all the facts first. Each night, then, you buried the money, and each of you knew the hiding place. We did the deed together. It was the only way. Each of us knew. And each morning, you would dig it up again. Continue. And so it went. For all the days and nights of the journey from Damascus. But... Last night, we were 12 miles from the gates of Jerusalem. It was late. We were tired. We made camp for the last time. We dug a hole beneath a carrot. We hid the treasure as usual. This morning, it was gone. Which means that one of these two or two have banded together to steal. I have been robbed. Silence. The money, the diamonds, were gone, you say. Everything had been placed into a purse. And the purse and everything in it has disappeared. The hole was empty. One of them must have stolen it. What did you do when you discovered the purse was gone? Well, there were words. Angry words. I can well imagine. We came to blows. I can see that. Each of us accused the other. Each let the other two search him and all the possessions, but... There was no trace of the purse. I see. Then we must assume that last night, when all three of you were supposed to be deep in slumber... One of you was awake. Yes. One of them. That's the way it happened. And that one, making sure the others were fast asleep, went to the hiding place, removed the purse, hid it somewhere, and returned to his place by the fire. That's exactly how it was. That's what the thief did. That's what one of them did. Joseph, did you wake up during the night? No, Your Majesty. Here, Abiel. Did you get up last night? No, Your Majesty. Benjamin? Did you sleep during the night? I did, Your Majesty. Did any of you see anything? Hear anything? One of you stole that purse. 
so. Was it you, Joseph? No, Your Majesty. Was it you, Abiel? I swear to you, Your Majesty, I'm innocent. And you, Benjamin, are you the man? No. No, Your Majesty. One of you is lying. This was the moment. Dramatic moment that everyone was waiting for. Three men had told a story. Each was a respectable and honest-looking person. And yet, one of them was a liar. A liar and a thief. To see through the lie was beyond the capability of the average person. But I was Solomon. Solomon, the king. Solomon, the great judge. I would see through the sham and falsehood. I would reach out and touch the core of truth. Because I was guided by the Lord. There was a hush. No one spoke. And they waited for me to rise and point to the culprit. They waited for the awful bolt of lightning to strike, and so did I. I waited for the flash of insight. I waited for the sudden revelation. But it didn't come. I knew what I had to do. I rose from my chair. I gazed into each man's face. I needed time. Joseph, raise your hand and swear you are innocent. I swear I am innocent, Your Majesty. Abiel, swear you are innocent. I swear, Your Majesty. Benjamin, I swear I'm innocent. I swear I'm innocent. One of you is guilty. And that one is... expected to build up to a line like that and not use it for a first act curtain? Obviously, one of them is guilty. But does Solomon know? I'll tell you this much now. Solomon will solve it. But only on the basis of what is revealed in open court. Do you think you'll be able to solve it too? You'll be fed all the pertinent data, beginning with Act Two. of Cain, the brand of the thief. By these, we are supposed to know the transgressor. However, that type of insignia used to be put on after the criminal had been exposed. So how do you recognize the wrongdoer before he has been brought to justice? This is a story about King Solomon. He's faced with just that problem. One of you is lying. One of you is the thief. And that one is the man who shall suffer the full penalty of the law. And they were waiting. The crowd was waiting for me to point to Joseph or Abiel or Benjamin. To proclaim, behold, he is the one. That's what was expected. And that is why they gather in their thousands in the courtyard of the palace. Why princes and philosophers, scholars and sages join the vast horde of common people. Why they come from all over the world to watch the Hebrew king dispense justice. I look at the faces of Joseph, Abiel, Benjamin, 
I search each man's countenance for a sign. But they look equally innocent. Or equally guilty. I wait for that sudden flash of insight. It has never before failed me. I wait. But this time it doesn't come. I knew I must do something. Captain of the guard. I am. See that these three remain here on the spot. My people, your king and your judge retires to pray for guidance. Solomon. Mother, I cannot come to the council chamber now. I understand. You have trapped yourself. What do you say? You have become the prisoner of your own reputation. I know. These three. By now, news of their litigation is traveling all through the land. And everyone awaits the judgment of Solomon. Mother, it is not necessary to remind me. But it is. Listen to the words of Jeroboam. Listen to what he says. Are we not a simple, God-fearing people? Farmers, craftsmen, shepherds. What is this foreign luxury that eats away at our substance? And the people listen. He is wrong. We are not a simple people. We're a great people. Does it matter? Your strongest claim to the throne is your ability to dispense divine justice. Well, dispense it. The people are waiting. I know they're waiting. The one thing you cannot do is keep them waiting. I know. I've been wife to a king and mother to a king. A king must do what his people expect of him. And from you, they expect... I know what they expect. Judgment. Then give them a judgment. I've been unable to... to find... Then come up with something clever. Mother, you cannot command inspiration. Well, then what are you going to do? I'll think of something. I've already thought of something. What is it? Well... Tell me. No. I don't think you're ready for it. Just yet. I sent confidential agents through the city. They investigated Joseph, Abiel, Benjamin. What kind of reputation did each man have? Spotless, it turned out. What did their friends, neighbors, even enemies think. Each was a man of unblemished character. Each was honest, hardworking, trustworthy. I spoke to each man in private. I trade in spices, Your Majesty. Yes, Joseph. I'm a poor man. Poor? You own a large house, land. You have servants. But I'm poor because I have no sons. There will be no one to carry on my name. But surely one of the women in your household... The Lord has not seen fit to answer my prayers. They say you plan a journey to Canaan. Well, yes, Your Majesty, I had thought about it. To the city of Gaza. Oh, uh, we are at peace, Your Majesty. We trade. In Gaza is the temple to the pagan goddess Ashtaroth. Are you aware of it? I hear uh, I know they worship her. Ashtaroth, the goddess of fertility. Had you planned to visit her temple? Your Majesty, why would I... Why These would... things are not unknown, are they? When all else fails, there are those who pray to idols. But, Your Majesty, I am not one who... who, who why, why, it's an abomination. And an expensive one at that. 
The altar of Ashtaroth, I am told, must be piled high with gold and silver and diamonds. The rumor among your neighbors is that you are taking your wife on a trading journey. Well, uh, she has kinfolk along the way in Jabesh. I see. That is all for now, Joseph. They are all three honest men, Mother. Perhaps none of them has ever been caught doing anything wrong. We must be calm. To lose the throne because of a petty quarrel among merchants. It's not a petty quarrel to them. Besides, who says I'm going to lose the crown? You said it yourself. Justice is the cement that keeps together the walls of your palace. I will find the thief and pass judgment. What if there is no thief? What if there is no thief? And no gold, no silver, no diamonds, no robbery. And they did not come from Damascus. I don't understand. What if these three are partisans of Jeroboam? And this is a part of a plot to discredit you. But they have been to Damascus. And they did sell goods. And they did have money. I have made inquiries. I will find the thief. I am a weaver of cloth, Your Majesty. And you brought your wares to the marketplace in Damascus, have you? Yes, Your Majesty. And you sold all of your goods? Yes, Your Majesty. Had you done well, have you? Very well. You were returning home, then, with 200 silver coins? Yes, there are those who say your wares were worth considerably more. Ah, uh, I... And yet, you just told me you had done well. Well, when one makes a long and hazardous journey to a foreign land and returns home alive, well, it can be said he did well. But not financially. There was more cloth than people wanted. Which means you sold yours at a loss. Yes. Which means you are in debt. Yes. Were you tempted by Joseph's gold and Benjamin's diamonds? No. That is all. For now. Happy. Shall I tell you what might be the cream of the jest? Mother, I... I am not aware that anything is funny here. Oh, it's possible that all of them are innocent. How is it possible? Consider the story. They decided to stop for the night. Yes. They'd halted by a carob tree. We know that. A thief could have been concealed in the branches. He could have seen them bury the purse. He could have waited till they fell asleep. No. Why not? The tree was dead. It had no foliage. Then there is only one thing left for you to do. What do you suggest? I say you must... Yes? No. You're not quite ready for it. Not just yet. You are a dealer in precious stones, Benjamin. Yes, Your Majesty. And you had journeyed to Damascus to buy or sell? To buy, Your Majesty. Was your trip successful? Very successful. These ten precious stones, they were the object of your trip? Yes. At this point, they represent your entire fortune. Well, when did you discover that the diamonds were false? Your Majesty, I don't understand what... Do you deny it? I... I am an expert in precious stones. No one could fool me. I would know a false diamond. Of course. No one doubts your expertise. 
Only your common sense. The diamonds you bought were real enough. But the ones that were given to you carefully wrapped in a soft cloth. How? How did your majesty know? Your misadventure is now a well-known joke in a certain section of the bazaar in Damascus. I, uh, I... Somewhere along the journey, you happened to examine the diamonds a bit more carefully than usual. But I... You are a ruined man. Yes. But I'm not a thief. That is all. For now, Benjamin. They say the Lord no longer speaks through Solomon. I hear that too. They wait for your judgment. I'm aware of it, Mother. And not just here at the palace. All Jerusalem waits. From the deserts of the Negev to the mountains of Galilee, all are waiting for the great judgment from the great judge. I'm doing my best. One of them is guilty, but which one? It doesn't matter. Any one of them will do. Oh, no. Only the one who is guilty. If you must have the guilty one, then do it the way these things are done among civilized people. I don't understand, Mother. Let me suggest a way. Let us conveniently discover a sack. It will contain Joseph's hundred gold pieces, Abiel's two hundred silver coins, and Benjamin's ten diamonds. Mother... Choose the one who pleases you least. He will be the thief. Punish him as you see fit. The other two will be satisfied. The mob will have its judgment. The throne will be safe again. You don't care for the idea. No. You are repelled by the, shall we say, the immorality of it. <laughs> immorality? I remember what I did to get the throne. What I did? What I permitted you to do for me. No king is without blood on his hands. Not my father David nor Saul before him. There are things you must do to win the crown. And there are things you must do to make sure the crown remains on your head. I understand that, Mother. Now, we know the contents of the purse. A hundred pieces of gold, two hundred silver coins, ten diamonds. And now, we must determine the look of the purse itself. Solomon. Yes? Are you listening to me? Yes, I'm listening. There are certain things that kings do. We know that those in power can usually justify anything they do in the name of some higher morality or some greater good. But Solomon? Well, one thing you have to remember about many of those biblical kings, they were human. Oh, how intensely human. How human, we shall see shortly when I bring you face to face with Act Three. You are the prisoner of your reputation, said the Queen Mother Bathsheba to her son, King Solomon. And what was his reputation? His great ability? Today, we would call it instant wisdom. It was as if he were divinely inspired to see through the maze of confusion into the heart of a problem. The trouble with being able to create miracles is that after a while, people expect you to do it all the time. All three of them had a motive. 
All three of them could have used the contents of the purse. Then decide among them. They are entitled to justice. Oh, we're back to that. We never left it. Jeroboam grows stronger every day. I will find the guilty man. How? I will find him. I summoned the three of them before me again. I questioned them at length, in detail. There was nothing I didn't know now about their lives, their thoughts. But the basic mystery still eluded me. Which one was the thief? Obviously, they were all honest to begin with. But each now felt a desperate need for more money. Under these circumstances, any man can break down. Any honest man can suddenly desert the path of morality. I kept asking more and more questions. The three of you were strangers in Damascus. Whose idea was it to return to Jerusalem together? It was mine. Yours, Joseph? Yes, Your Majesty. I felt there would be safety in numbers. Whose idea was it to place all the money and diamonds into one purse and bury it for the night? It was mine, Your Majesty. Yours, Abio. It would be safe from thieves. The last day of the journey, you were only 12 miles from Jerusalem. Whose idea was it to camp for the night? It was mine, Your Majesty. Yours, Benjamin. The thieves are always thickest right outside the city gates. We would be overtaken by darkness. The more I spoke to them, the more it became apparent that a case could be built against any one of them. You must deliver a judgment. I must know who is guilty. You are the king. You decide innocence or guilt. I have always taken pride in my ability to arrive at the truth. Oh, I see. What is it you think you see? You are determined to arrive at the truth. Of course. Not the truth for its own sake, or because the Lord demands it, but because you're proud of your ability to do it. Well, uh... So then the truth becomes not a way of life or a point of morality, but an accomplishment in a class with horsemanship or archery or swordplay. Mother, I pay you the honor that is due you under the commandment. But are you the proper person to lecture me? Certainly. Those of us who admit our own shortcomings may preach the best of sermons. And so the judging, it's vanity. Mother. You mean it isn't vanity? To stand there, your arms outstretched toward heaven, and speak words that are so wise, so convincing, that the multitude will swear they are divinely inspired? It isn't vanity. What? you're saying is... is... Is what? What is your true concern, my son? What sort of life shall you follow? I had no choice. I was a young girl, too beautiful for my own good. I was desired by men of wealth and power. And what is a woman in our world? A vessel, a chattel. But you can choose. What is it that you want... Vanity or justice? And suddenly, the words formed in front of my eyes. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. The people said I was divinely inspired, but I smiled to myself as if I knew better. I had flattered myself into thinking that the ideas, the thoughts, were my own. No. There is only one judge and one judgment. And I must open my heart and my soul to him. 
I pray humbly now. Oh, greatest of all, judge those three men, thy servants. Judge those three men, thy servants. Judge them. A great weight is lifted from my heart. I go to the courtyard. I am ready to end the case. Have you decided on the guilty party? The Lord will make that decision. He will put the right words in my mouth. If I trust in him. And I do. Joseph. Abiel. Benjamin. Stand forth. Each of you has presented his case. From all the evidence that has been given and all the facts, any one of you may be the culprit. Before I announce my verdict, I should like to tell you all a story. For it has a bearing on this case. Listen, all. A young man and a young woman fell in love. They wished to marry. However, the young woman said to her lover, My beloved, I want us to marry. But several years ago, I gave my word to another. We, we both realized it was a mistake, and we drifted apart. He is gone from the city, but I pledged my word. True, he wouldn't hold me to it. Actually, he might never even know. But I have no right to marry unless he releases me from my vow. They decided she would have to visit the other man and ask to be released. And she did. She traveled to the distant city where he was living and presented herself at his house. Leah, come in. It's been a long time, Joshua. Well, I have a wife. I know. I've come here to ask a favor. What? Sort of favor. I promised to marry you. I would like you to release me. Release you? Why, I deserted you. You're not bound by any... I made a vow. But who would know if you broke it? Who would care? The answer to both questions is the Lord. Yes, I understand. I release you, Leah. Thank you, Joshua. I, I want you to have these. What are they? I put them all in a sack. All the gifts you gave me. Oh, well, no, it's all right. But many of them are valuable. You keep them. Joshua, I see this house. It is not the home of a rich man. Well, it hasn't been a good year. I want you to keep those gifts. They belong to you. But, Joshua, you're in trouble. You deserve to be happy. Now, let us say no more about it. She set out for home. And she was so happy that she didn't even notice the bandit. Until she felt the point of his sword against her throat. <gasps> well, now, that's a heavy sack for a woman to carry. Suppose I lighten your journey and relieve you of its burden. Please, please have pity. Pity? How can I afford to have pity? I'd starve to death. But in here, 
is everything I have in the world. Then I'll make sure you won't squander it. With this sack, with what's inside, my husband-to-be and I can buy a farm. We can enjoy a long, happy life together. Please, how long will it take you to spend what's in the sack? The way I spend money? A week. A week of pleasure for you. Is it worth a lifetime of misery for me? For me, a week can also be a lifetime. My life can be stretched from a gallows tomorrow. The Lord will remember what you have done for me. The Lord will remember your sins. Oh, that he will. But when he makes his judgment, he will also remember that you spared a poor woman her few miserable possessions. Uh, what can I do? I have this weakness for a pretty face. And perhaps it might even be wise to have at least one credit mark in that ledger. Come, little sister. Let's walk to the city together. Some of the other gentlemen of the road might be tempted to take a shorter view of things. And that, gentlemen, is the end of the story. Did you care for it? Oh, yes. Interesting. Very inspiring. I will ask each of you a question. Which of the people in the story do you admire the most? Benjamin? Uh, I would say the girl. Why? Because she understood the importance of a vow. Abiel, do you agree? Uh, no. Why not? Your Majesty, I admire her former sweetheart for releasing her from her vow. He was most generous. He could have taken back the gifts. Consider he was poor and in debt. That's well taken. And, Joseph, have you an opinion? Well, Your Majesty, to me, the admirable person is, in truth, the bandit. He showed great compassion. He could have taken all her possessions... Indeed, he could have also taken the woman and sold her as a slave. Three of you have appeared before me. Two of you will leave here free men with the valuables that belong to you. I know the guilty man. Captain of the guard, seize him. If he confesses and tells us where he has hidden the money, we shall imprison him. Otherwise, he shall be executed. Well, Captain, what are you waiting for? What is he waiting for? Obviously, he's waiting to be told which of the three is guilty. Are you also waiting to be told? Or do you know? Solomon has arrived at his decision. Have you arrived at yours? You know everything he does. Have you decided? Let's compare conclusions. Captain of the guard, seize the guilty man. Uh, which one, your majesty? Why, Joseph. Joseph, of course. No, no, I swear I'm innocent. Captain, we will have this man hanged. No, your majesty, save my life. I'll tell you where I hid the purse. <laughs> And how did you know Joseph was guilty? 
I told a story of a man, a woman, and a thief. Each of the three had done a good deed. Do you follow? Yes. <laughs> Benjamin thought the woman had behaved best. Abio said that the former sweetheart had shown the most generous heart. And Joseph claimed that the bandit had been the most worthy of praise. Yes, but what did all that have to do with the case at hand? Mother, you see, it takes a thief to admire a thief. As he thinks in his heart, so he is in his deed, said our King Solomon. This and other bits of ancient wisdom are constantly being rediscovered. And today, we call it psychology. But as we have been told, as it was in the beginning, so shall it be in the end. But before we make an end of our story, I must leave for a few minutes. But I shall return. has been the story of a judge, of a mighty king who held the power of life and death. We think of judges as men who determine our fate, which is true. Yet, each of us is a judge. Each of us is constantly being called upon to decide between right and wrong, good and evil. Thus, the sum of our lives is a judgment. And thus, in our hearts, none of us need be in suspense concerning the verdict. Our cast included Gordon Heath, Bryna Rayburn, Ralph Bell, Nat Pullen, and Roger DeCoven. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams...